I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What is going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. If you don't know me by now, my name is James Milley. I am the managing partner and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the US and one of the top resources for all things art, artists, and marketing of your art. I am also one of two hosts here on The Artist Business Plan. Uh, which now reaches over 5,000 listeners a month in over 100 countries around the globe and growing every single week. Today, we have Eric Rhodes here with us on the mic. Eric is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to double or even triple your income as an artist. I don't know about you, but I am so excited to hear what he has to say. First, I have an amazing offer here just for you ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. All right, so we are back here with Eric Rhodes and we are ready to change the way that you think about your art career. Eric Rhodes is a publisher and founder of Fine Art Connoisseur and Plein Air Magazines. He spent a lifetime building and marketing businesses. He is the CEO of Streamline Publishing, which has been in the INC Magazine fastest growing companies in America each of the last five years. He is the author of the book, Make More Money Selling Your Art, which is a number one best-selling book on Amazon. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, Eric. Thank you, James, and congratulations on your success. Thank you so much. Um, Now, before we dive into it, Eric, I just want to ask something to help our listeners get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? Probably uh, when I was about 12 years old, my dad and mom took us to the 1965 World's Fair. There, you do the math. And we went to, I think it was the Frick. I didn't know it at the time. And I saw this giant painting of pirates fighting with their swords on the ship, a hull of a ship. And, and I thought that was the first time I realized that art could be a storyteller. And I fell in love with art at that moment. I had done art with my mom and painting around the kitchen table as a child, of course, but that's when I really realized that art was something more. Right. More than just uh, a pastime or or a a creative outlet, but actually some way to actually tell a story. I think that's such a cool story. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the rest of the questions that we have for you, Eric. So you are a master at art marketing. Uh, Your guide, Art Marketing in a Box, can help artists double or triple their income. How did you develop your model of, you know, how the ladder of success works for emerging artists? Well, can I just start with one thing and then I'll, I'll get into that. I came out of another industry and learned to market because I was forced to try to figure out how to make my businesses succeed. When I got into the art industry, it became very clear to me that most artists did not embrace the concept of marketing, that most considered marketing or sales something evil. The first realization for me that I needed to do something, which started out as a blog, you know, I, I would talk to artists and I'd say, hey, what's your marketing? They say, oh, marketing's bad. I'll not do marketing. I don't like to talk about myself or I don't have any skill in marketing. I realized that if I could change their mindset about marketing and help them understand that it's not evil at all, there is evil marketing out there, but you don't need to do that. You get that choice. If you can change your mindset, then everything else falls in place. And then if you can devote a certain amount of your time, I like to say 20% of your time 
artists say, well, I want to paint, I want to sculpt, I'd rather be doing that. I get that. But if you want to sell paintings consistently or you want to sell artwork consistently, then you want to have that ability to spend that time and and make that difference because just spending the time will increase your sales considerably. Yeah, you're you're so right, first of all, with kind of the starving artist mindset of like, oh, you know, my art needs to be pure. And yes, marketing is is evil. That's kind of our mission as well is to sort of eradicate that mindset. And again, artists, 20% of your time dedicated to the marketing side of your art business. Let me just point this out to you real quickly. And imagine that you're in elementary school and you have the answer to a question but you sit there and you don't raise your hand, what happens? The teacher doesn't call on you, right? And so really, you just think of it as raising your hand. All you're doing is saying, hey, consider me. Check out what I have to offer. Because if you can't get it in front of them, they're never going to know that it's an option for them to buy it. Absolutely. And I've heard so many artists tell me, you know, hey, I've, I made my website why don't I have buyers now? And it's, I love that, that analogy that you just mentioned about just raising your hand. It's like, you know, you've made the website, you've made the great artwork that someone's going to love, but now you need people actually seeing it. Do you, have you ever heard of a phone book? I have heard of a phone book. Yes. (laughs) You know, if, if, when, when I was a kid and, and, and for many, many years, you know, you'd go to New York City and there'd be a phone book that was about four or five inches thick. And every name of every person and every business in New York City was in the, they actually had two volumes in New York City. Well, imagine a phone book, uh, four inches thick times every city in the world. That's the problem with the website is a website is just like having a listing in the phone book that nobody's going to know to go to your website unless you have a a strategy to get them there. Just having a website isn't going to do you any good. Yeah. Eric, your, your, uh, your metaphors are so spot on for creating visuals of like the actual challenges that, that artists are facing. I, I totally agree. You know, we've talked about like what the first step is, and that's recognize that marketing is a good thing for your art. You create helpful YouTube videos under Streamline Art Video. What would you say is one of the most helpful videos that you've created, whether it be an art marketing masterclass or one of your instructional painting videos? I'd like to maybe focus on the marketing side of it. And if you want to kind of tie it into the first question and kind of the the topic that we're on right now. Well, when COVID began, I started doing a 12 noon daily because I just wanted to be there for people and help them through it. I started out the first several I don't know, maybe first several weeks I did marketing instruction and enough that I'm going to write another book just based on the new things that I came up with and shared. And so those are kind of in the early stages of starting in March of, of 20, what was it? 2020. (laughs) And I've lost track already. And, you know, I, I touched on a variety of subjects, but the one thing that I, I just constantly am touching on in one of the videos that I, I probably did multiple ways, multiple times is focusing on the importance of building a brand. You know, we all drive cars and some of us drive a Kia and some of us drive a Tesla and some of us drive a Bentley. But usually what people do is they kind of wish they had something else. I was talking to my son the other day. He said, Dad, I wish I was a millionaire. I said, what would you do with the money? He said, first thing I'd do is I'd buy a Lamborghini. And I thought, why? I mean, why does he want a Lamborghini? It's because a Lamborghini or a, a, you know, a Rolls or a Bentley would be perceived by some people as the best. Not for me, not what I would drive. But the idea is that uh, branding equals stature or status And there are people out there who want the best of the best. See, if you have a high quality brand, you get a higher price for your product. You have more awareness of your product and your product, of course, being your artwork. I hate to put it in terms that so crass as to say it's a product, but it actually is. You're selling a product. And the magic of art is you're usually selling a product that only one of them is ever made in the world. And so you have something that's very unique and very special. And if your name is associated with being among the best of the best, then automatically people will seek you out. They'll go into an art gallery and they'll say, hey, do you have an Eric Rhodes painting? Or they'll be in an art gallery and and they'll see two paintings and one of them is $5,000 and another one is $25,000. The brand of the $25,000 artist 
is so strong that someone will say, well, it's not about the money. I mean, it is for some of us, but the idea is that you see that $25,000 painting and you're telling yourself, well, that's a Richard Schmidt painting or his would probably be, you know, more than 25,000. You know, that's a Richard Schmidt painting. You know, it's got to be good. It's going to have value. I'm going to get my money back if I ever decide to sell it. You know, there's all these thoughts that go through people's heads. It's the same thoughts that you know, you're driving down the road and you see somebody in a Bentley and you're like, oh, I wonder who that is. And you're kind of craning your head to see if you can see because they must be somebody rich or famous or something because they're driving that car. So branding has a big impact on everything you do. And the, the more you can keep your name visible, the more it will have a positive impact on your career. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the same concept applies if you're you know looking to be the Prius of of the art world. If you're looking to create art that is in a price bracket where you're going to uh, make it accessible to more people, that can be the way that you approach your art career. The most important thing is to make the decision of what your focus is and what your brand is and make sure that you're tailoring your art, your product, like you said, to that audience. Yeah. So I don't want to, ma- I don't want to send the message that everything's about how much getting the highest price or, you know, being a Rolls Royce. I mean, like you say, you can, you can determine what your brand is. You know, you may say, I want my art to appeal to the common man or common woman and, and that's fine, but you have to understand that the, eventually as you start learning and growing as a dare I say, business person, a person who understands the business aspects of art, you start to realize that you're probably not selling your artwork for enough money. And, you know, and once you get to that point where you've got to start getting more money for your artwork, you've got to figure out how do I elevate my brand and, or at least elevate the meaning of my brand. There are people who want to be green and they want to own something from the green artist that uses only organic materials. You know, you do paintings with coffee grounds or something. The point is, whatever it is, make it your hook. And then every time you get up to bat, drive that point. You know, everything you do, your signature on your email, your ads, your marketing, your social media, constantly look for a way to reinforce whatever it is that that brand stands for. Because if you get get to that point where you are a well-known brand. And by the way, this doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. You can speed it up with marketing and advertising, but it still takes time because you have to build trust first. You know, you can have a brand that people don't trust. I mean, a gangster would be a brand that somebody doesn't trust, right? McDonald's would be a brand that, you know, you might think, well, I don't want to eat there because it's not what I consider to be healthy food. So that's, but that's the brand that they want to have. You figure out what that brand is and then you reinforce it constantly and it will make a huge difference. And just take that 20% of your time and figure out how can I get my name and my brand out there? What does my artwork mean? How do I make it mean something to others? And then you just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And you will get to the point where you're sick of repeating it because you're looking for something different. But once you have a brand, you stick with it for your life. You Once you decide you want to sell something, sell artwork, you have to adopt an attitude that I'm a lifetime marketer. Because what happens is you get momentum. The more branding you get, the more success you get, the more success you get, the more branding you get, and you build this wheel of momentum and it keeps going. But the minute you stop, that wheel of momentum stops. And then, you know, it takes a long time to build it back up again. So that's why you never stop. You just have to assume if I'm going to make a living selling my artwork for the rest of my life, I have to be a marketer for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, once you get that momentum, you know, keep going. But also what you were saying before about like deciding your brand, like, make sure that you're going in the right direction, (laughs) like pick the direction and then keep the momentum going. Cause you know, if if you have to pivot, then that's going to slow you down, down the road. So how do you know when you're going in the right direction? And that's, that's a tough one because most of us are not expert marketers and it's always a good idea in anything you do to find a third party who has some experience and can give you a legitimate opinion. Now, just asking your your family members or your friends, that's dangerous because they're not necessarily going to tell you the truth. Uh, they might not tell you that your art, artwork needs some work. You know, you want to have experts that you can call on 
whether they are you know, marketing specialists like James that we're talking to, or whether it's you know someone who's experienced in marketing artists, whether it's an agent or you know an ad rep or someone like that, because these people deal with these things every day, and and they'll be able to tell you you know is this brand idea really a good idea, and if so, why, or if not, why not? You know you have to have to think about that. I tell a story. And I'll be very brief about it, but I do art marketing seminars at the Plant Air Convention and the Figurative Art Convention in our live events. And this guy raised his hand during one of my seminars. He said, let me tell you a story. I was at an art show, a tent show, and this woman walked into my tent and she said, how much is that painting? And he said, well, that's $4,000. She said, I'll take it. She writes out a check, hands him a check for $40,000. And he looks down and he said, ma'am, I'm sorry, you must have misunderstood me. That painting is only $4,000. True story. She said, oh, it must not be any good. And she ripped it up. We have to understand that just because we may be in a position where we can't afford a $40,000 painting doesn't mean the people you're talking to can't. So you have to realize that there are people out there who can and will. I know people who through my art career, you know, they spend a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars on paintings without a, a second thought. It mortifies us to think that that could happen, you know, if we're not in a in a category where we could afford it. But we have to understand that that's there, there's always money out there willing to chase the best. Yeah, absolutely, and that that kind of brings me back mentally to uh, one of the first shows that I had for my own art. I'm a photographer, and I was trying to sell prints from a series that I did. I, I created a photo a day for a, for a full year. Um, so I had like 365 prints. The average price was, I think, $200. And the curator of the show, he had like this millionaire was coming. And I was like, oh boy, this millionaire is going to come and buy my $200 prints. And that's a product market misfit. Like you're saying, sometimes your price is too low for the audience that you're trying to attract. Now, in my case, it was a bit of both. It was I needed to raise my prices and I wasn't exactly looking for millionaires for my art, but absolutely what you're saying, like depending on what your audience is and what you've decided for your own brand, just make sure that there's that match because otherwise you're going to be handicapping yourself. You're a, you're a smart guy. You know, in my book, I talk about I, the phrase I use is stand in the river where the money is flowing. Uh, it's probably harder to sell a $2,000 painting than it is to sell a $20,000 painting. And it, it, and it doesn't make sense to us why that would be. But I don't want to waste my time. Please understand, I'm not trying to be an elitist with this, but if I'm trying to sell something, I want to get a premium buyer whenever possible. I want to get as many buyers as possible because you know if I have to sell, let's say, 50 paintings a year, Uh, In my case, I only produce about 10 paintings a year for my art galleries because I have other things going on. So I want to get, you know, premium pricing for those. I don't want to mess around with it if it's not worth my time. And ultimately, I find that it's easier to get someone to pay more money than than less because, again, you want to go where the money is. You know, standing in the river where the money is flowing means, okay, where are the where are the rich collectors who buy photographs where, you know, there's a, a guy in Las Vegas who sells million dollar photographs. I want to be him. And, you know, he has to put a lot of money out to figure that out. He's got a great marketing team. He's got a great retail location. He's got a technique that they use every time they show a painting. I I mean, a photograph, but the idea is that they have it down to a system and they get a lot of people who wonder in there that don't look like they could afford anything and walk out with a $40,000 print. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, from from my experience as well, I would say that it's it's pretty much just as easy to sell something for $200 as it is like 2000 or 20000 like you're saying, if not easier, because there's sort of this uh, valley where things are too inexpensive for you to be selling enough of where you're actually making any kind of substantial profit, but also the audience that you'd be attracting for that lower priced item, they're still considering it like for their own price bracket. So if it's being extreme, let's say you have a $50 print. Well, if your audience is someone who has never bought art before, then even for a $50 print, they're comparing that to the $12 print at Target. So you're you're still competing and it's still having to get that person to decide versus, you know, like you said, if you're trying to sell a $20,000 artwork, you're being compared to other artists that are in 
that approximate range. So it's almost the same challenge. Well, and we all have to start somewhere. You know, not everybody's going to be able to get $2,000 out of the box or even $500 out of the box. You know, you have you have a process that you go through where you you ratchet up your prices over time and you there's some value to scarcity and there's value to getting in front of the right people, whoever you think the right people are. I mean, if you want to sell $50 prints and you're feeling pretty good about that, I have no problem with that. I think it's a great thing to do. You just have to figure out, you know, who is that market? Because the the market for $50 print may not be the same market as a, a millionaire. Although there are millionaires who, who have crummy art hanging in their houses and have $50 prints all day long. And just because you have money doesn't mean you have taste. You know, I have, uh, I've been in the homes of some friends who are billionaires who have awful art, target level art, uh, you know, not original art. And, it, you know, it blows me away that here's somebody who could walk into some place and spend $50,000 without it hurting them. And it's, you know, the equivalent of us having a $10 bill in our wallet. It's an education process. And that's part of what marketing is too. It's an education process about you and about your art. Absolutely. The artists who listen here, they range from artists who are already established in their own businesses and artists who like have never sold an artwork before and they're looking where to start. So what would be your top five tips for artists starting from the bottom to build a clientele, get into galleries and so forth? Like what what are your top tips there? Well, the number one is spend 20% of your time on figuring out how to market your art. The number two is build a list. I have media companies, right? I own Fine Art Connoisseur, Plein Air Magazine, several newsletters, you know, things like that. And I have my audiences and people spend money to reach my rich collectors because they want to get in front of them and, and reach them. But also, you know, you can't always afford to do that. And so you want to build your own list. So everything you do, everywhere you go, every visit to your website, you want to have reasons to give people that will give them the incentive to join your list. You know, maybe it's not saying join my list because nobody wants to be on a list, but maybe it's saying, you know, I've got a uh, an ebook of the 20 best paintings I've ever done and it's yours for free. Just sign up, give me your email here and I'll send it to you. Now you have the ability to control what they're seeing. You can't control whether they open it. And if it's not good content, if it's not compelling, if you know, if your emails are are boring or if your emails are not appealing to them, if they're not about them and, and all about you then uh, and learning something or benefiting, then they're not going to open them. But if you have the ability to get a newsletter in their hands once a month or twice a month or get some special in their hands once in a while, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, this art marketing in a box program, which I'm about to pull off the market, it basically allows an artist to become the most well-known artist in their community. And it, it's a system that allows you to put uh, yourself out there and it's everything's pre-written for you. So you don't even have to come up with anything. You just have to adjust it to your world and your art. You know, it's a combination of direct mail and it's a combination of email and social media and other such things and newsletters. The whole goal is to look for excuses to be in front of that list that you've built frequently. Because if you can get in front of that list more frequently, then you have your own media. That doesn't mean you don't use other media like mine. You use that media to get people to come to your website, to drive them to your list so that you can talk to them more frequently. And then, you know, you also use that, that medium for your branding and so on. The more you talk to people, the more they're going to gain interest. And you think you can't, you know, you think, well, I, I can talk to them too much. But you really can't uh, because most people are not paying attention all the time. The third thing would be repetition. Repetition sells everything. Repetition of stories, repetition of your, of your story, repetition of the branding that you're creating, repetition of getting your, your name out there and your images out there and having that take on some meaning. You know, the reason that people become famous is because they get repetition. So repetition is all about getting your name out there, getting articles about you, getting other people to highlight you, getting, uh, you know, as much exposure as you possibly can. Coming out of the marketing world, I understand that I can buy PR for a couple thousand dollars a month on the minimum, probably for up to 25 or 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars a month. I can buy PR. 
And that means I can go to a PR agency and say, listen, I, you know, I need you to get me 50 articles this year and I'm willing to pay you to do that. Um, now you can do a lot of that on your own. You know, you can push out there and get the editors, you know, editors are always looking for content. So looking for ways to get repetition is really critical. So number one would be concentrating your time. Number two would be building your list. Number three would be repetition. Uh, in terms of the rest of them, you know, none of them really matter. If, if you do those three things, you're going to soar like an eagle uh, above the clouds because you're going to be getting that success. I would say if there was a number four, it would be never stop marketing because I understand this. I, I have watched this happen time and again with people who are my customers. You know, they're getting, everything starts out slow. When you start advertising, you don't get instant success. Everybody thinks, oh, you get instant success, but you have to build trust. You have to build awareness. And then once you build trust and awareness, and then they start noticing you. And once they notice you, they start seeing you, you repeated time and again. And then all of a sudden, they're like, hmm, maybe I'd like to own one of those one day. And then they lose that thought. And then you keep reminding them and reminding them and reminding them. And then all of a sudden, one day, they become a buyer. And so it's a process. It takes time. So the minute, though, that you stop, you think you, you know, you've got this momentum and you're riding on your laurels, but you stop reminding people. And all of a sudden, you're out of sight, out of mind. I can tell you stories about artists that I know who uh, they thought, you know, I'm making more money than I ever thought possible. I'm going to stop advertising. They stop advertising for six months and their well dries up. And all of a sudden they're not hearing from people. And everybody assumes that, you know, once they know me, they always know me. But we all know the story. You know, the, the reason that movie stars want to be on the cover of People magazine, even if it's controversial, even if it's negative, it's getting their name out there and, they're, and, and getting them in, in front of people all the time. Because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind in Hollywood. And it's really true with all marketing. You know, the reason that you see a television commercial for a Mitsubishi or, you know, some product on television you know, why does Coca-Cola continue to advertise 125 years later? You know, everybody should know to buy Coca-Cola when they go in the store, but you're constantly being attacked with other things that people can spend their money on, the Pepsi-Cola or orange soda or, you know, who knows what. And uh, so if you stay out of sight, you eventually just stop buying Coca-Cola. The same thing is true for art marketing yourself. You have to just be visible constantly and you have to you have to be visible in a lot of places and social media is not enough we all think that social media is this great thing and it's a fabulous thing and i i by the way i spend a huge amount of money on social media advertising but i don't put all my eggs into that basket and i all and i have a very specific purpose i know how it works and how it doesn't work and it's very tough for selling direct products uh, it's okay for exposure. It's good for brand building. But we mustn't forget that the average person, if I, if I have a post and I do, if I have 5,000 followers, which is your limit on Facebook, unless you have a public page, if I have 5,000 followers, the likelihood of more than 2% ever seeing that post is slim. So you've got a very few people who see that post. Uh, uh, the algorithms feed it to the same people all the time. And if you're not getting interaction with other people, they're not seeing it. And the average post is distributed to 2 to 3% of the people. So you think I'm reaching 5,000 people when you're reaching 50 or 100. Sometimes you can beat that. There's a lot of tricks and techniques you can use to, to beat it. But ultimately, you have to understand that to, to some extent, Facebook or, or Instagram in some ways is preaching to the choir. They're preaching to your friends. They're preaching to the people who know you. And uh, Instagram, a little less so. But just remember that I'm on Instagram scrolling through. I'm seeing uh, in, in a one hour time on Instagram, I'm seeing 50,000 images. You know, you're not, you got to have something that's going to stand out, something that's going to get attention. And then you've got to have what's called a call to action, how to get those people motivated to do something, you know? So how do you get them to come to your website? What is the reason they should come? What's in it for me? Yeah. And just kind of expanding on the the point about having your art on Instagram or social media, uh, it really is, you know, not only are you, you not reaching as many people as you think, but also you're competing with their attention spans. They're, they're looking at the posts that you made that you spent hours, if not weeks, you know, on a single, single artwork, and then you put it up and 
a hundred people see it for three seconds. And, you know, it, it, it's not that you shouldn't do it. It's just not the be all end all versus, you know, I live in New York city and I would say that one of the most successful ways that people market to me is subway ads because I'm sitting on the subway for 20 minutes. And if, especially if you're, you have an ad on that, like thin little, like strip of a billboard at the top of the train, I am staring at you for, for like 20 minutes at least. And those are the things that if I were to look at the items, the things that I've bought in the last two years, probably over half of them are because of subway ads, just as an example. But like, I, I totally agree with never stop marketing, but also don't limit yourself just to social media because that's kind of like the buzz word or the buzz concept that everyone thinks like, oh, I got to like focus on Instagram. It's not everything. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, but it's an obsession. And by the way, I do it. I mean, I spend a lot of time and money on on social media. It's an important part of, of my role and it's a great branding opportunity. But I have to remember that not everybody sees it. You know, I was pushing something on on Instagram or, or on Facebook yesterday. And I thought, well, this will be great. You know, I've got a couple more seats to sell to this publisher's invitational event I do, which is a painter's retreat. And I thought, well, I'll just put this up there and those seats will sell. And it's like, no, no. And, uh, you know, I mentioned it to somebody, that, oh, I didn't see it. You know, you're flipping through so much stuff and, you, you know, you're just not going to see everything. It's a good thing to do. And there's a way to do it, but you have to treat everything differently. You also don't want anything to be reliant on a single source. You know, Facebook is going through a real interesting time right now because Apple just changed their algorithm and it's not allowing tracking to take place, which means retargeting is going to be less effective. And a lot of the things people have been doing is, is going to be less effective. And you got a huge number of people in the Apple environment. All of a sudden, you've got companies that their entire marketing budget was based on Facebook. Now, the same budget numbers are not getting the return on their investment, and they had all of their business built on that. What if you had your business, a little of it on social media, a little bit of it on whatever it is you're trying to, you know, you're doing, whether it's uh, the subway, whether it is advertising and fine art connoisseur, whether it is direct mail, you know, things that we oftentimes say, well, these things are dead. Yeah, I think the phone book is dead, but they're probably still hundreds of thousands of people who read them. I, they drop one off every year. I've never opened it. But there are things that people still go to their mailbox. And direct mail used to be the big way to sell things before the internet. Now what's happening is the direct mail people are finding out, hey, there's very few things in the mailbox, so this stuff's working really well. So we've developed direct mail programs for artists that I had a lady call me and she said, you know, I used the art marketing in a box thing. She said, within one year, I doubled my income. I thought I was making a good income. I doubled it. I went out and I paid cash for a new truck because I just started doing this direct mail thing that you recommended. And I just put your copy on it and my images on it. And boom, all of a sudden I doubled my income. So these things can happen and you just have to not rely on a single thing. As a marketer, you know, in that 20% of your time that you're taking, you have to be constantly asking yourself, where do the people I want to reach spend their time? How do I reach them? What do they need me to say to them? What's going to get me to stand out? You know, you've got, in, you're in the marketing business. You cannot be boring. You know, you have to stand out and your painting alone may not be enough to stand out. I mean, you scroll through Instagram or, or your photograph alone. I mean, if you're into photography, you're seeing thousands and thousands of photographs go by or thousands of paintings go by. And what are you going to do to stand out? What can you make that do to make that person stop and spend a few seconds and hopefully follow you and hopefully go to the next level by going to your bio link? And then, you know, once you get them to your bio link and you can get them to sign up for your newsletter, then you've got them. And then you have the ability to reach them multiple times, time and time and time again, that repetition. Yeah, 100%. Artists out there listening, I would encourage you the next time that you, you know, buy something and then you receive a survey afterwards asking, how did you hear about us? Take note of that list of, you know, like 15 to 20 items that they're asking you and see which ones apply to you and, you know, expand your own marketing beyond just social media. I'll tell you a story about that, though. You got to be careful with that because I, I, uh, I used to own radio stations and 
I did a survey one time with an ad agency. This ad agency called me and they said, we're not going to buy any ads anymore. And I said, why? And they said, well, we did the survey of where they heard our ad and we listed all the radio stations in town. You were the only one we were advertising on. Everybody told us the name of another radio station. Now that's the power of branding, right? This other radio station had been around for 50 years. My radio station was a year old. They were advertising on mine, but people said they heard it on another station. So people don't necessarily remember things accurately for surveys. Yeah, no, it it is true. Um, I think more so just like the different possible avenues that like less of, of actually using the results from that list, but more just like where you're seeing those companies marketing just as like a, a brainstorming for for like other avenues to, to market your art. But I, I definitely hear you. And that's, that's sort of been something that's happened for us as well as like, you know, mixed results, especially when it's not so clear. Like, you know, for instance, with, I don't know, Facebook marketing, you can see exactly what your conversion rate is and everything. Something like a radio station, you're really relying on people's memories uh, to actually remember that like, ah, yes, I saw it on this radio station and, or I heard it on this radio station and that's why I bought it. Also, most likely someone's seen your product on like more than one source and they might only be thinking of one, but really it was a combination of subway ads, Facebook ads, and then finally you signed up for their newsletter and that newsletter was the thing that made you buy it. So it's almost always a combination of things, a cumulative effect. You know, you've got, I mean, you, people are so busy. You've got, th- you, people are, are going in 150 different directions. They're driving down the road and they're seeing billboards. They're seeing ads constantly on their phone and everywhere else. And they've just got a lot being thrown at them. So it's that cumulative effect. That's why repetition in multiple places is really important. Absolutely. All right. So artists out there listening, we are going to come right back and Eric is going to tell you more of what you want to know about habits that bring about success and much more. But first, another message from our sponsors. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. Eric, as a very successful person, what are your must-dos every day that have helped you get to where you are now? Well, getting up out of bed is probably the most (laughs) important one. (laughs) I have uh, triplets who are 19 years old, and I finally went upstairs today at noon and said, it's probably time to get out of bed, you guys. You know, so look, I, I think that showing up is half the battle. Artists of all forms uh, you know, they want to be doing what they love and it's real easy to get stuck in your process and your painting, your photography, whatever it is that you're doing and want to do that because that's fun. And the other stuff isn't necessarily fun, but showing up is half of the battle. I wake up and I have good days, but if I wake up and I'm having a bad day, I have to switch that to a good day real quickly. And if I don't, I'm going to ruin a whole day. And what if it's my last day? And so I have a routine. First off, I have a routine before I go to bed is I, I don't write this down. I used to, but I don't do that anymore. I ask myself three things from today that I'm grateful for. And then, you know, I say my prayers, I go to bed, I get up in the morning. And the first thing I think about is what am I grateful for? And I just remind myself what I'm grateful for. It really helps my mood. I just went through a recent family member passing and it was really tough. And, you know, I said my moods were pretty tough, but I, you know, I managed to pull myself out of it. You know, we all have moments where we don't feel like showing up, you know, it'd be much rather, I'd much rather just 
go to the movies or take a day off, but I show up every day, no matter what. And I just don't allow myself that out. So showing up, get your mindset, right? I talk a lot about mindset in the book because I think that mindset is something that's often misunderstood, but it's so critical. What you put into your mind and how you feed your mind is really, really important. And, and I'm very careful about what I put in there, what I think about who I hang out with, what I watch on television, all these things impact your moods, but they also impact your, your belief in yourself. We all have these uh, moments when we don't believe in ourselves and we tell ourselves things that are not possible when in fact they are possible. My dad used to say to me, uh, if you think you can't, you won't. If you think you can, you will. And so your first thing, the first thing to overcome is, you know, you have to ask yourself, what, you know, where do I want to be? How do I want to, what, what does my, my success look like? And success is not all financial success is family, you know, whatever it is in your life, your spiritual life, your, your family life, your, your uh, health life, you know, uh, your recreation, your money, all of those things. And so you've got to ask yourself, what, what do I want my ideal life to look like? I put a lot of time, at least once a year, I, I say, okay, how am I doing on my ideal life? Am I, what do I not want to do? What do I want to do? How did I do this year? I rate myself. And then I say, okay, what do I need to change? And usually what I have to change is my mindset. You know, I didn't accomplish this goal because why? Well, I didn't believe it or I didn't fully believe it. And I find that if you actually start to believe these things, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a national television show. I've got a deal with one of the major networks and somebody said, you need to go after this and, and, and try to get a show with this network. And I said, nah, they're not, they don't want me. And they said, well, you're, they're not going to want you if you have that attitude. And this person said to me, why don't you change your attitude? Spend the weekend figuring out all the reasons they do want you and all the reasons that you would be good for them and then figure out how to make it happen. So I did that. I spent the whole weekend just changing my mindset. On Tuesday, that following week, I was at a cocktail party in New York at the Harvard Club, and I meet this guy. And I said, what do you do? And he says, well, I work for this network. I said, funny you should ask. I said, you know, I thought you might be coming to me. And he said, what, what do you mean? And he said, I know. I said, that sounds a little woo-woo, but I told myself that I was going to meet somebody from a network and that I was going to offer them this program. And he said, what's it all about? And I told him, he said, meet with my people tomorrow at three. And we met with the people you know, it took several months, but, you know, ultimately I got a deal and it was because I had shifted my mindset to believe something that I didn't otherwise believe. You can't just have mindset alone. Imagine uh, you're a ship at sea and you're drifting, right? You turn the motors off and you're drifting. Well, eventually you're going to drift somewhere. You're going to drift wherever the wind is blowing. You're going to drift into the rocks. And that's how most of us operate our careers. But what if you turn that engine on? What if you point that rudder towards something on a map? There's a pretty good chance, unless you run out of gas, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to have to make some course corrections, but you're eventually going to get to the Bahamas or wherever it is you're going. The same is really true. You know, you got to believe you can get there and then you need to build a plan. How am I going to get there? And so I talk a lot about these life plans in the book and things that will really help people understand that uh, you've got to be focusing on a plan. And, you know, I used to think this was all nonsense. I, I used to believe that positive thinking was nonsense, but I realized that the thing that's missing, you need the positive thinking, but you also need the practicality of it and you need to build a plan. I, I do a blog on Sunday mornings called Sunday Coffee, and I wrote about that uh, just recently because, you know, I try to give people some ideas on success and ideas on, you know, living a high quality life. And, and that one was you know, there are a lot of things that happen to me because I dream them, you know, I'll be painting a painting and I'll visualize, you know, it going into a frame and I'll visualize it hanging in the right gallery and I'll visualize, visualize the right person buying it. And inevitably that kind of happens. But when I'm visualizing negative stuff, that stuff happens too. That's why I really am careful about managing that mindset. Everything that you're saying right now is so valuable. Definitely change your mindset, start with that. It's not the be all end all, but if you don't have it, then, then you are going to, you know, whatever negative thoughts that you're having, those will just manifest themselves. So I, I totally agree with that. I, you know, know from experience, I know from others experiences that I've talked to 
definitely positive thinking combined with the actual legwork of getting there, kind of that, that engine on the boat that you were mentioning, that combination will get you where you want to be. Yeah. It's a goal plus an action plan. Yeah, exactly. Eric, you wrote a book called Make Money Selling Your Art, which first of all, perfect title. Can you give our listeners a sneak peek of some of the wisdom to help sell their art in regards to pricing, offering discounts, just like, you know, whatever you want to mention from that book? When I created the book, I the reason I did it is because I always get the same 30 questions from everybody. You know, and the big the biggest question is, I don't know where to start. I have no idea how to market. I don't have any experience in marketing. I don't even want to do it. So how can I do it when I don't want to do it? How can I do it when I don't know what to do? The core principle behind the book is essentially just do these things. And and what I always typically say is just pick one thing in the book. There's probably 500 ideas in the book, but just pick one of those ideas and focus on that idea for six months and don't do anything else. Don't try to do it all. We can't all do it all. I have a marketing department. I have a lot of people who work for me and we can't do it all. And so when you're a singular artist trying to make it on your own, you can't do it all either. But if you just do one thing and just do one thing really well and consistently and repeat it, that one thing will serve you well. And if you and you got to have that discipline of spending the time on it because, you know, I'd rather be in my studio here painting. I've got a big painting I'm working on now. I want to get done. But I also know that I have to have the discipline of getting these other things done. So I would start there and, and say that. I talk a lot about pricing and, and price strategy you know, how to ramp up the, the, the pricing as an artist. And I talk a lot about branding and, you know, how to build a brand when you don't have any money and you can't afford to advertise and, and what is the most effective way to build a list, you know, those kinds of things. There's a, you know, a whole bunch of them. So I'm not sure which particular one to focus on. I, I would say pricing starts in your head, what you believe is possible. Now, I, uh, I have a friend who's a very famous artist. He gets about $250,000 for a single painting. And he doesn't do very many of them. He maybe does six a year. Well, that's a nice income. I was with him one day and I said, how, how did you get your prices up so high? But keep in mind, he'd only been painting for five years. He was uh, well-known in another medium before painting. And I said, how'd you get your prices up? He says, I don't know. I says, I have nothing to do with that. Ask my wife. So I was with dinner with his wife and him. And, and so I said, well, how did, how did you do it? She said, well, I just figured out how much money we needed, how much time he was putting into it, how many paintings he did a year. And I divided that number. So, you know, if he's doing 10 paintings and I need a million dollars, there's the answer. I need a hundred thousand dollars a painting. I said, well, did you, did you have any belief that it was going to be awkward to ask for a hundred thousand dollars for a painting. She said, no, I just figured that's what he, he deserves. And that's what we're going to ask for and get. It sounds so simple. I mean, he had a big brand. And so his big brand as a sculptor translated into being a big brand as an, as a, an artist and a fabulous artist. But it, it starts out with that. The best way to get your prices up is to get your brand up. If you're in demand, there's scarcity. Right. So I recommend that the typical artist, photographer, artist, whatever, has a minimum of three galleries in three different regions of the country or the world because regions kind of go hot and cold. Right. If you if you were in a gallery in Detroit 10 years ago or five years ago, you'd have been hurting. If you were in a gallery in Silicon Valley, you'd be doing well or, you know, so you want to be in a place where the money is flowing and sometimes you have to change that, but you want to have three galleries because you want to have the idea that if one isn't doing well, the other two might be, you don't want all your eggs in a single basket. And then from there, you uh, start branding yourself. If the, the sooner you can get your brand up as being, a prominent artist. And one of the ways to do that is to get the right articles. I mean, if you can get Peter Trippi at Fine Art Connoisseur to write about you, that's gold. I mean, we've watched, I can't mention names, but I've watched some artists. He did articles and it changed their life. It changed their career. It changed the trajectory of their life because all of a sudden the the bigger, more important galleries that charge more money started calling these artists and saying, we want to represent you. And actually, the, the galleries have told me, several of the galleries have told me, we watch the artists that advertise 
sometimes we watch them over years and, you know, sooner or later we like, we're like, okay, it's time. We're going to contact that artist. So advertising oftentimes has the same effect in an art magazine, for instance, content is content. Advertising is content because everybody buys magazines to look at pretty pictures. And you would think even in this era, digital era, that magazines don't matter yet. You know, I have tens of thousands of high-end collectors. I have a 310 billionaires who, who are on my reading list. You know, they get that thing in the mail and they consume it and they read it and they spend money. I have one gallery who told me I get an average of $80,000 sale off of every ad. And he's selling $500,000 paintings. Now, if you're selling a a thousand dollar painting to that crowd, it might not be as effective. But you know, getting that brand up, that branding is the the fastest way to to higher price. Yeah, totally. And you know what you were saying about the magazine, it's kind of similar to what you were saying about the direct mail before, where it's like, even if it's maybe not the newest, most innovative way to to market your art, I mean, think about the people who do you know, read magazines. I mean, they're going to be more affluent. They're making decisions. They're, you know, they care enough about art design or, you know, lifestyle or whatever types of magazines they buy. They care enough about it to subscribe to a magazine versus you're not really filtering too much with someone who's just on social media. Again, not dissing social media. You should still do it, but just it's not to be all end all. Well, just get, you know, we have to keep in mind that not everybody's in the same place we are. You know, there are, there are still people out there who spend money who are not necessarily spending time on social media. I had a, a guy told me a story. He came, he asked me to come visit his collection. He had a, probably a half a, half a billion dollars in, in art. I mean, really the good stuff. And, uh, he and I started talking about art magazines and so on. He, I spent the weekend with him and I said, you know, how did you buy some of this art? He said, well, I flipped through every magazine. He said, I ripped out pages. He said, I ripped out about six pages of ads of artwork. He said, some of them were historic. Some of them were not. He had both. And he said, I wrote a note on them to my secretary and said, buy these. He didn't ask what the price was. He didn't care what the price was. He had, you know, obviously endless amounts of money because he was probably a billionaire. And he just, you know, he just ripped out the ad and said, buy this. And so they show up. I don't, he says, I don't even know how much I paid in some cases. So I think that that, that guy isn't going to do that on Instagram, but there also, I mean, I have, I have sales that I've made on Instagram. I was in a show, a guy went to, to a gallery show that I was in and, um, bought a couple paintings and then he followed me on Instagram and I had posted a couple others and I got an, you know, an instant message from him. He said, I'd like to buy these. I said, that's fine. I'll sell them to you, but I have to give the commission to the gallery, you know, just because that's the right thing to do. And so I did. So he bought a couple paintings and then I, I used a couple of marketing moves that I had had developed and ended up upselling him to two more paintings uh, when he purchased a painting. The best time to sell a person is at their peak of enthusiasm. And so you feel good. You, you have a dopamine rush when you buy something. That's why when you're buying stuff at the grocery store, they put all that other stuff out there because you go, well, I'm spending money. I need this. I need this stick of gum and I need this candy bar and I need this People magazine. And so you just start throwing stuff out there because you've got this dopamine rush. It makes you feel good. When you have bought something, you are more likely to buy something else. And so one of the things that we teach people in the book is how to get them to go, do a second purchase. You see, a the first purchase from a customer is the most expensive. The second purchase is free. So imagine this, you buy a, an ad in, in Plein Air magazine and you, you buy, pay whatever it costs and you ended up selling a painting from that ad. So that ad costs you however much it costs. And then you follow one of these techniques and you say, uh, by the way, you know, thank you for buying this. And I wanted to offer this to you. This is a companion painting that really is designed to go with it. And because you bought this one, I'm going to be willing to give you this at this special price. They almost always buy it. And so that second sale is all profit because you didn't have to pay to get it. You know, you have to pay, you have to spend money to make money. You have to spend money on advertising to get people in the door. But once you get them in the door, if you can sell them, an, you know, an extra sweater or an extra stick of gum or, or whatever, that's free money. So if you start kind of shifting your mindset on how to do that, 
I'll bet every person listening can figure out if they think about the last time they sold a piece of artwork, what could they have done to upsell? Now, you might not be able to get your gallery to do that, but you can do it yourself. Think of it like, do you want fries with that? Here, here's one that, that some people have used that I came up with, and that is, you know, they buy a big studio painting and you say to them, you know, this studio painting is based on a plein air piece, an outdoor painting that I did. And I think it'd be nice to frame that up and hang it next to it because, you know, this is the original reference. And then I made the bigger painting from that. Oh, how much is that? Well, you know, normally I would sell that for $5,000. I'll give it to you today for three. And, and all of a sudden you got rid of something that's just going to clutter up your, your office anyway. It's a beautiful piece to throw it in a frame. And now they have both. And so you have an opportunity to do these kinds of things. The, the key is, though, James, is it's got to be ethical, above board, and not sleazy. I mean, you don't do any of those things if you, you know, there are people who do that stuff that's sleazy and they tell you things that aren't true. You know, you can't ever go down that road because you'll never recover from it. And plus, it's just not the right thing to do. But it has a tremendous value uh, to think about the second sale, the third sale. I have customers who have bought several paintings from me because they now consider themselves my collectors. And so once you get a customer, you don't ever want to tell yourself, well, this customer is going to buy one painting. No, you're looking for a way to stay in touch with them. Let them know about the latest paintings you've done. That's where newsletters are valuable. But I talk in the book a lot about how to do newsletters right and how to do them wrong because everybody does them wrong. Yeah. What you're saying about not just selling to someone once. I mean, I think that every artist out there should shift their mindset from, you know, their main goal being to sell their art and have their main goal be build more collectors. Because whether it's exhibiting an art fair like super fine or, you know, promoting your work online, buying a magazine ad, buying a billboard on a train, subway train, um, whatever it is that makes sense for you that first time, like you're saying, costs money. There's a there's a marketing expense to it. But if you maintain that relationship with them, you can sell to them over and over again or to their friends, essentially with no marketing cost at all. And by the way, James, the best money somebody can spend is marketing money. You obviously want to try and get a return. You can't get that return instantly in most cases. You can on occasion. But the person who outspends is the person who sells the most because marketing drives business. It's just, it's I, I've been doing this for my entire career, which is longer than I care to admit. And anytime I have a problem, all I got to do is pour gas on the marketing, is put money into the marketing, and it usually solves the problem. Now, marketing messaging is a whole nother animal. You know, you've got to have messaging that's not going to bore people. It's going to stand out. You've got to do things that are going to get noticed. And you have to do it in a tasteful manner in most cases. Uh, you know, some cases maybe not, but, you know, there's some some lines you probably don't want to cross. And so the, there's uh, marketing, media, and message. Those are the three legs of the stool. And so your marketing has got to be right. The media you use has got to be right. And the message has got to be right. If you, if you buy a lot of advertising and your message isn't right, it won't work. If you, buy, if you have a great message, but you don't buy the right media, you don't do the right amount of marketing, it's not going to work. Absolutely. And then also what you were saying, circling back to your very, very first point, there is evil quote unquote marketing out there and just don't do that. <laughs> like focus on uh, the good authentic uh, marketing that is not trying to fool people or, uh, or be slimy. Just don't be a car dealer. You know, I, I think the car dealers do this because they have to cut through the clutter. They've got to sell a lot of cars every week and they do it. And, and also usually car dealers oftentimes are appealing to a certain group of people you know, you don't see uh, Lexus advertising in the same way. You don't see Rolls. I don't even see Rolls Royce advertising, but I can't imagine that they're going to say, come on down today. You know, it's, you know, you want to make sure that you're matching what you're comfortable with and your personality. But the other thing is you're going to be a little bit, if you're starting marketing for the first time, you're going to be a little bit shy about doing some things that you really need to do. I mean, you have to find ways to stand out. You want to get noticed. I mean, if you're that kid in that classroom and every kid is raising their hand, what are you going to do to stand up? Well, you're going to stand up, raise your hand and stand Shake up. Shake your hand a little bit as you raise it. 
you shake your hand, everybody's shaking their hand, but you know, so you, you do something, you know, you, you do something to call attention to yourself because you have to, if you, if you want to get noticed. Absolutely. This, this has been such an amazing conversation. I mean, you have endless valuable advice. Let's bring it home for our listeners out there. What is a call to action that you want to share with the artists listening so that they can take full advantage of your expertise? Start spending time. You don't have to start out with 20%, but start spending time. Just spend an hour thinking about it. Start out there. And then the probably the most important thing you can do is start list building. Look for every opportunity to get somebody who is a prospect on your list. Getting people who are not prospects, it's better to have 50 good prospects than 5,000 people who will never buy something from you. But every time you meet somebody at a cocktail party and they're talking about art and they're interested in art and you see they're buying art or they're going to your art fair, then look for an opportunity to say, hey, I'd love to send you something. Do you have a business card? Now you've got them. And you say, do you mind if I if I put you on my, you know, my email list? I don't like to use those words. Uh, it'd be much better is, would it be okay if I sent you my newsletter? Would it be okay if I sent you a PDF of my top paintings. And by the way, you're sending that because it's a sales piece for you. So get your website focused on list building. It works very well. And you you may or may not be getting any results from your website, but if you can get them focused on list building and you know offer something on that website that is of value to someone that they're going to want for free, you're going to get their name. Then you can start putting them out there. You know, they've opted in. It's legal for you to contact them. Then you can start putting it out there. Do the list building. It'll change your life. Absolutely. Like the first thing that someone should be seeing on your website is a way to get on your list. I, I couldn't agree more. It's been a huge game changer for, for Superfine, for my own art. It's definitely seems like it's not going to be as effective because it's not, you know, literally making that sale right off the bat. but that's unlikely anyway. You need to warm the person up. So, well, let me let me make a, 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 a if you've got time. Let me just make this correlation. You walk into a bar and you see someone that's really really attractive, and you're thinking, okay, I want to meet that person, right? So you walk up to them and you say, "Would you marry me?" <laughs> they give you the bird, and then you you know, and and you ne- never have a chance. But if if you take it slow you know, look for a chance to meet them. And then, you know, you don't follow up too fast. You don't appear to be too eager and you, you know, you give them some value over time. Then they develop friendships. You know, I meet somebody at a cocktail party. The next day you call them and you say, Hey, listen, I met you at the cocktail party last night. I'd love to get together with you for lunch and get to know you. That's one thing. But if you call them and you say, Hey, by the way, I need a hundred bucks. Would you lend me a hundred bucks? you're never going to hear from them again. <laughs> and so that's why you don't want to ask for the order right away. You want to be able to develop them. You know, you give them, you get, get them to download something. And then you have a couple of automated emails that go out to them and say, hey, you know, thank you for, for getting this thing. Uh, here's something else that I thought you'd like to have. You know, it's, it's one of my favorite inspirations or here's my newsletter or something. You know, just don't go for the kill right away. And there's a point at which you want to go and ask for the order, but that, you know, you want to warm people up and get to know them and make them feel comfortable with you. And, you know, that's a mistake I've made in my own business and doing it the wrong way. And I'm shifting my thinking on a lot of that because I, you know, you have to play the long game. You know, if you get somebody in on your list and they're gone the next day, it doesn't do you any good. But if, if you can keep them getting to know you over time, you know, everybody's uh, in my marketing seminar, I show these two escalators, one's going up and one going down. They're filled with people. There's always people entering the market and there's always people leaving the market. And so, you know, people leaving the market, people who die, they get old, they don't have any more room for art on their walls. Uh, People entering the market is they just sold their business. So they just, uh, their kids are out of college and they have money to spend, you know, so you've got to be constantly looking for new people, but you've got to be constantly talking to old people. You know, this list that you build has a 10% attrition in a normal year. In a bad economy year, it might be 50, 60, 70%, meaning somebody who's a buyer today might not be a buyer tomorrow. So you have to be constantly feeding your list and bringing new people in. Absolutely. Eric, you again have so much advice to give and thank you for sharing your perspective here on the podcast. 
to all of you business artists out there, Eric has been here with us today sharing his amazing perspective. You're going to want to go back, listen to our show notes. Uh, you can listen to this in all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. To connect with Eric, you can follow him at Eric Rhodes. That's R-H-O-A-D-S with an H. You can also visit ericrhodes.com and artmarketing.com. Those links will be in the show notes as well. As always, remember that we are at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate a share when you're listening to and enjoying the artist business plan. And once again, we'd really appreciate it if you could take just a moment of your time to review us on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews are so critical in helping other artists, entrepreneurs, just like yourselves, find us. And lastly, uh, I always like to share a quick quote to end the class. And the quote is by Henry Ford. The quote is, failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. Eric, once again, it has been such a pleasure having you here with us today. Thank you for sharing your perspective for our listeners. And we're so grateful for that. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, James. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Eric. Everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at Superfine Art Fair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Yeah.